Good morning, guys. Lovely to see you this morning. Kenwood. Kenwood for those who are going to Bobby after this. <clears throat> Guys, the, the, the context of every single book in the Bible is very important. It's, it's critically important. Um, the, the reason it's important is because the Bible is actually not written to you or I. It's not written to us. My name's not in it. Your name's not in it. I've said this before. The Bible's not written to us. It's written for our benefit. So each book in the Bible is written to a particular group of people at a particular time in a particular season. And in the New Testament, all the letters are actually written to address a particular heresy or error in the Bible. But Jesus knew that this church would also experience the same things. And so it's recorded for our benefit. It's recorded for our benefit. We're busy going through a series in Galatians. And so the book of Galatians is written to the Galatian church. At a particular time, particular season, particular era, and you've got to know the context. It's vitally important. And so when we start the next series, I'm going to ask if you can read the book of the Bible that we go through, that series. Read the book. Read it from cover to cover. And then read it again, and read it again, and read it again. And then go and research why was it written, and when was it written, and what conditions, and to which people. And then I promise you that the Holy Spirit will do something incredible and the book will open up for you. Can I ask you to do that? But it's vital to do that. Otherwise, what happens is you will be fooled. That's what it says. It says you'll be fooled. In Galatians 3.1, Paul says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You've been fooled, you've been conned into believing something that's not true and is not scriptural. That's what it says. So unless we understand what the book's writing and who it's written to and why it's being written and what's being said, you're going to be fooled. You're going to be manipulated into believing an untruth. In Galatians 1 verse 7, it says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what's going to happen. People are going to take bits of Scripture and then they're going to stick them together, or they're going to preach them in isolation, out of context, and then we're going to believe something that's not true. That's what it says. You agree with me? Right. So I want to ask you a question. Who knows what the LGBTQ movement is? No, seriously, put your hands up. Who knows what the LGBTQ movement is? Who doesn't know what the LGBTQ movement is? Okay. Where have you been? So like 99% of people, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. But who feels confident to come and stand here and teach us about sonship? See, we, we, we understand a movement. Most people know what that movement stands for. They, they know the movement, they know the teaching of the movement, they know the ideology of the movement. But if I say sonship, no hands go up. Who's the son of God here? Some are not sure. Some are sure. The guys are sure. The girls are not so sure. Yeah? But, but we, also, we, we all seem to know what LGBTQ is. It's incredible, isn't it? And so I want to show you how Scripture can be manipulated. And don't worry, the sermon's not about LGBTQ plus A, whatever it is. It's not about that. I'm not going to jail today. 
I'm going to Barbie after this. <laughs> With Grant. <clears throat> but I want to put a scripture up. This is a this is a this scripture, the LGBTQ movement has taken this scripture, they've stolen it from the Bible. And what they're doing is they are teaching on the basis of this scripture that homosexuality is compatible with the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to put it up. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 28, please. Uh, Shelley used it in her preach last week. And I want you to read it with me. I read from the NRV version. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you're all one in Christ. That is a scripture that a movement has taken out of the Bible, and they are teaching that homosexuality is compatible with you're all one in Christ. And it's, it's like everywhere. If you research the internet, there are about four scriptures that get used. So does, does that mean that God doesn't see any distinctions between us? Does that mean in the eyes of God we are nationless, genderless, it, it doesn't matter. There's no physiological difference. There's no physical differences between us. So this group of people, if you're saved, if you're in Christ, you're like one androgynous mess. Is that, is that what it means? That means God doesn't see anything anymore. Because, because in terms, if, if that's our thinking, then I've got to ask Dimitri if I look like a Greek female. <laughs> Dimitri? Yeah? Or a Jewish slave. Because then I can just be any of them and I can mis, mix and match them. But it's one scripture that's been taken completely out of context. It has nothing to do with LGBTQ+. It has nothing to do with gender. And so what is it all about? What is it about? It's about sonship. It's about sonship. It's about being a son, a son of God. That's what it's about. And so I want to look at the whole scripture this morning, and then I want to unpack it, and hopefully we're going to understand what this is all about. And so if we can, if you can please put up Galatians 3, verse 26, and I'm going to read all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. If you bring your Bibles, please open them. Otherwise, you can follow us on the screen. And so we're going to read from chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. An heir is someone who gets an inheritance, and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is this, that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And so also when we were underage, we were in slavery until the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. My Bible says that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's Son. And since you are His Son, God has also made you 
and heir. Some people's Bibles say children. At the end it reads, so you are no longer a slave but God's child, and since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Whose Bible says child? Your Bible? Your Bible? The correct translation there is son. God has made you a son. You're a son. And so what's happening here is that Paul has written the letter to the Galatian church. He writes it under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't write it as a human. He writes it under, under Holy Spirit inspiration. And he writes to the Galatian church in approximately AD 48. The Galatian church is in the province of Galatia, which is in the Roman Empire. And so it's, it's controlled by Romans, and it's controlled by Roman law. What's quite interesting is that in South African law, we have about 50% Roman law as the foundation of our law. Amazing, huh? That's how incredibly advanced the Romans were. So our law is made up of about 50% English law and about 50% Roman Dutch law, and the Roman Dutch law has a basis in Roman law. So if you study law in South Africa, you study Roman law. They were incredibly advanced in their legal system. And so Paul, being an unbelievably gifted man, that's why God uses him to write Scripture, he understands three things. He understands Old Testament law. He understands the Mosaic laws. He understands Roman law because he lives in the Roman Empire. And he understands the Scripture. He uses financial terminology like debt and, and credits. It says righteousness is credited to us. And he uses purchases. And he uses accounting terminology. And then in Galatians, he's actually using legal terminology. So a lot of the words here are legal words. For example, he says... He speaks of heirs. That is a legal word. He speaks of guardians, trustees, estates, rights, redeem, slaves, free, male and female. Those are legal terms because he understands Roman law. And so they have legal implications in the Roman Empire. And he's speaking to a bunch of people who would understand that. See, like we understand South African law. Yeah? Like, we understand if you sell buffalo, you can put the money from the sale in your couch in South Africa. <laughs> See, that's what we understand. So he understands certain things about the Roman Empire and about Roman law and about the way we do things under Rome. And so you must understand that he's going to teach us now, and he's speaking to people who also understand the same things. So in terms of the Old Testament, there were Jews. It says, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. Male and female. That's the six categories. So we've got to look at who they are. Then we understand. In terms of the laws, in terms of the Old Testament law, in terms of Roman law, we've got to figure out who these people are. So in Old Testament law, there was a major difference between how Jews and Gentiles saw themselves in their position, in their standing with God. The Jews believed that they were God's elect, set apart for God, His holy nation, His inheritance. And in order for them to remain in that position, in that standing, to have those rights with God, they had to obey certain laws. So they had to obey 16, 613 Mosaic laws. Laws They had to eat certain foods, abstain from certain foods. They had to circumcise their male children on the eighth day after birth. They had to sacrifice all sorts of animals as atonement for sin. They had to observe certain holy days, observe certain festivals. And, and on the other hand, Gentiles or Greeks were enemies of God. They were hated. They were subject to destruction. They were idolatrous, pagans. Just read the Old Testament. You can read about the Amalekites and, the, and, and all the other cuts in there, and you'll see that Gentiles were hated. They were enemies of God. 
And so the Jews had set themselves up as God's elect, and the Gentiles were somewhere down here, close to hell. That's in the Old Testament. And so Jews and Greeks were at the opposite end of God's love and His will and His purpose. Jews were here, Gentiles were there. In Ephesians, it's called the dividing wall of hostility between people. They hated each other. And Jesus came to reconcile that, to bring people together. That dividing wall of hostility, I said it in the prayer meeting. If you're a married couple, you'll know what that looks like. That's when a husband and wife have an argument and then get into bed at night and down the center of a double bed, there's a wall that is so impenetrable that nobody can get through it. Nobody. You can't even, you can't even put your fingertip through that thing. It's barbed wires. It's electrified. That's the dividing wall of hostility between people. Yeah? That's what it was like with Jews and Gentiles. Dividing wall of hostility. And then he says slaves and free. In terms of Roman law, slaves were not people, they were possessions. They were just possessions. They were owned by somebody. The power of life and death rested in whoever owned a slave. So the slave had about as many rights as my iPad. And if I stood here and I broke this thing over my knee, there's, no, there's nothing that anyone could say in recourse to that. There's no legal implication to it. It's my possession, my property, I can do as I wish. Slaves had zero rights. Zero rights. And the one way you could identify a slave, you always knew if it was a slave, was the slave was barefoot. Slaves were barefoot. Someone who was free. There were ways you could be under Roman law be free. You were born free. So you're either born a Roman or you were born a free man or you could purchase your freedom. You could be a slave that could either buy your freedom or you were released by your owner. Of course, then there were women, men and women. As Shelley said last week, Jewish men would wake up and pray, thank you that I'm Jewish, thank you that I'm male. Because men were at the top of the pecking order. In Old Testament theology, in, in, uh, in Roman law, there was an interpretation that women were nothing. Women were inferior, subservient, unequal. In Roman law, the, the, the power of life and death over your daughter or your wife would rest in her husband or her father. He could kill her in the street and no one could say anything. Amazing. All control, an executive control in the hands of a man. And so life in the ancient Roman Empire had been divided and it had been operated according to sexist, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic barriers. That's how it works. Like South Africa. We just call them different things. We just structure it differently. It's like employment equity. You can have an Indian working for you, but only one. You can have three black people, but one white person, four males, one female. We also segregate. We're a world that segregates. It's nothing new. It's been around forever. Until about AD 33. Because in about AD 33, Jesus Christ is crucified. And then on the third day, he's resurrected back to life. And the veil gets torn in the temple, and heaven breaks loose on the earth. That's what happens. Heaven breaks loose here. And the gospel is preached. A new message is preached. A new message is preached. And now you stick all of these people, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, males, females, in one church. And you say, let's get on with this. After all of that segregation, 
And so the Jewish Christian guys are saying, we have slaved. We have slaved. We've obeyed laws. A piece of calamari has never touched my lips. I have, I have obeyed every single thing, God, that you've done, that you've said. Festivals, Sabbaths, food, rites, circumcision. We've done everything. And then one person responds to an altar call. A Greek comes forward to an altar call. And all of a sudden, he professes with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. He believes in his heart that God has resurrected him back to life, and he is saved. And the Jewish guy is saying, are you telling me we're on evil, even ground? You have to be flipping kidding me. There is no chance. I've worked for this thing. You can't just come up here, stand in front of the altar, and accept it. It's not possible. That's what the Galatian book is about. It's not possible. And you see, it doesn't take long before all the rules and the regulations and the hierarchy and the procedures and the systems start sort of making their way back in. Because the Jewish Christians are like, it's not possible that we can stand on level ground. It's not possible. How can I stand on level ground with an idolatrous pagan guy who's lived a debauched lifestyle, who simply professed with his mouth, believed in his heart that Jesus is Lord? How is it possible? And so Paul responds in a letter he responds in a letter, and he says, no chance. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have the full rights of sons, all of you, all of you. Jews, full rights. Greeks, full rights as adopted sons. As Tammy will tell you, an adopted son has the full rights, has the full rights of a son of God. Ladies, full rights, full rights. Zimbabwean woman, full rights. Afrikaans men, full rights of a son of God. When you accept him, you have the full rights. We stand on even ground. Legally, we have the full rights of a son of God. He's using legal terminality. It has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with the movement. It is about sonship in Jesus Christ. It's about sonship. And it's written to a church that is struggling to reconcile people to each other because they've got black people and white people and Afrikaans people and English people. And they've got people who went to church forever and people who got saved yesterday. And they've got males and females. And the women are trying to figure out where they stand with God because their whole life they've been inferior. We don't have to preach a message here of woman's lib. We've just got to preach Jesus. That's it. We should have preached Christ. And so this is a rebuke. The letters are a rebuke because of the racial and the ethnic and the social and the class divisions that somehow made them way into the church. Before God, woman, you are sons of God. You are like firstborn sons. I have a friend. He's old now. His father was a very wealthy farmer. He had two sons and two daughters. When the father died, the firstborn son got everything. Everyone else got nothing. We have the same rights as firstborn sons. We inherit. That's why we're called heirs. We inherit. In Galatians, it says you're an heir. You get to inherit. Woman, you're an heir. Men, you're heirs. Regardless of your background, your nationality, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, wherever you come from, that's what that scripture means. We are one in Christ. But he still knows our differences. We are made uniquely. We are made, we are made fearfully and wonderfully. says in Galatians, it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. For all of you who are baptized into Christ 
have clothed yourself with Christ. You've clothed yourself. You've got clothes on of Christ. Last Wednesday night, um, it was freezing cold. He remembers Wednesday. I think Wednesday was the coldest night of the week. It was unbelievably cold. It was bitterly cold. My wife was cooking. I was sitting in the kitchen with a beanie on working at the kitchen table. It was ice cold. It started to rain. For those of you who know us, we rent a house in Schoenmarkers Corp. It is isolated. It's pitch black outside. It's absolutely bitterly cold. It is deserted. And because it's deserted, I can open the gates and let my dogs run wild and call them in when I'm ready. And so we were sitting in the kitchen, we were talking, and we opened the gate, and the dogs ran out, and the next minute there was a commotion outside, and the dogs were barking at someone outside, and I went to investigate, and a young black boy was walking down the road in the direction of Sardinia Bay. So he had got to the end of Marine Drive, and, uh, and so he was trying to beat my dogs off with a belt. And so I got the dogs inside, and I said to him, he's freezing cold, he's wet, and I said to him, what are you doing here? He said, I'm trying to get to the boardwalk. I said, you are about 20 k's away. And he started to cry. And uh, he's a homeless boy. And, uh, and he, started, he, asked, he started to beg me to take him back. Like, beg me. He said, I'm begging you. He spoke very well. He must have been educated at some point. But he, he said, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Please take me back. Please take me back. So I said, well, how on earth did you get here? It's freezing cold. It's a winter night. You're walking towards Sards. And he said what had happened was he was hustling on the street in Summer Strand, and the police had picked him up. And what the police do is they pick the guys up, they drive them out to Squinnies, and they drop them off on the side of the road. It's a freezing cold winter night. Got in trouble with the law. And they just left him. And so I didn't know what to do. So I ran inside, and I'm going to drive him back. And Lee and I are having a conversation, and we're like, maybe we should just get the security company just to pick him up, and they'll just take him back. And so Lee's phoning the security company. And I just want to stop here. I just want to pause here. This story is not about my wife or our, or our good deeds. We could have done a lot more, and we could have done better. I just, I just want you to know that right at the beginning. And so we phone the security company, and while we're doing this now, we, we're obviously starting to freak out. I mean, this guy's wet. He's freezing cold. He's got torn clothes. So, so my wife's getting covered, and I'm taking out clothes for him because he's, he's drenched. And, um, and I look in my cupboard, and there's a pair of Adidas tackies that I've had forever. We bought them new for one of my sons. They didn't like them. I inherited them. And I know this sounds strange, um, but only, only the girls here would understand this. But I couldn't wear them. They made me feel sick. I don't even know how to, how to explain it to you. I know, it's just weird. If I put them on, they always made me feel very strange. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like it with heels. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, but they were brand new Adidas tackies, and they've sat in my cupboard forever. I've tried to wear them. I preached them once. I had a migraine afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I take these things out, and I take them downstairs, and we get the food, and, and we're going out, and we've got bags now with clothes and food, and the security company's there, and they say they're not prepared to touch the guy. They just say it's their policy. They can't put him in the car. So, so I said to Lee, I've got to take this boy. So we give him the clothes, and he's eating, and then he sees the shoes. And, and then he sees the shoes. And when he saw the shoes, it was like, it was like his whole demeanor changed. Everything changed. And he, and he was wearing two mismatched slops, different sizes, and he dropped them on the driveway, and he put the shoes on, and he just changed. Like, he just completely changed. He was so happy with these shoes. It was amazing. 
So I put him in the car and I drive him all the way down to the boardwalk. Because, I mean, he's homeless. I don't know where to take him. And it's midnight. And I'm like, I'll take you here. I can take you there. And we're having a whole argument. He says, I must drop him back. I drive him down to beachfront. And um, I get out the car. And I give him a whole lecture. And he runs off in the opposite direction. I said, I could, like, whistle. Like, where, where are you going? Boardwalk's that way. So he said, no. He's decided he's going home. So he had a home somewhere, wherever that was being, central somewhere. And he, and he went home. But I watched him almost like skip down the road. Just watched him go down the road. And when I drove home, I prayed that no one would steal the shoes. <laughs> um, but I actually just felt, I felt like God said, like, that's, I'm with you. That's what I'm like with you. You're cold. You were wet. You were lost. You were in trouble with the law. You were far from home. You were far away. And... Um, And that's what I've done with you. Can you put up Luke 15, please? I'm going to end. Luke 15, 21 to 24. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Put Adidas on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. I want to tell you that sons return. Repentant sons return to the father. That's what sons do. Sons turn back to the father. That's why the movement, the LGBTQ movement, is not compatible with Scripture. You can't live a lifestyle that is in conflict with the way of the father and be a son. You have to return back. Do you understand that? You have to return back. You have to turn away. You can't say to the father, I don't care about my behavior, and I don't care what you say, and I'm going to live in conflict. That's not the gospel. The son returns to the father. And when the son returns to the father, he clothes him. He puts a robe on him. Galatians says you are clothed with Christ. That means that when the father looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus and he doesn't see your sinfulness. That's what a son means. A son gets clothed. He's cold. He's warm. He gets clothed with Jesus. And then he gets sandals on his feet. You know why he gets sandals on his feet? You know why he gets Adidas on his feet? Because slaves were barefoot. Slaves were barefoot. The minute you get shoes, you know you're a son. You're back in the house. It's a symbol of sonship. To have feet it is a symbol of freedom. It means that a price has been paid and you're being set free. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a son. Now you're a son. And then he gets a ring on his finger. That ring means you can trade on the father's account. It had a seal on it. So when you transacted, you would put the, the seal into the wax and it was paid for by somebody else. That's what the ring means. It means you can trade on your dad's account now. In Ephesians, it says the glorious riches of God's grace. It means that you can draw on the forgiveness in that account. It is inexhaustible. You can keep drawing on it. Every time you mess up, you draw because you're a son. You can draw on the account of forgiveness because you're a son. That's what sonship means. Can you put up Luke 15, the next bit, 25 to 31? And this is the crux of Galatians. This is the crux of the Galatian chapter that I'm reading to you. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Religious people hate music and dancing. They hate it. Freaks them out. 
So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He became angry and he refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. I've always come to church. I've always worshipped. I always wear long pants. I'm always dressed properly. I always behave. I don't smoke. I don't swear. I've done this. I've always done what you want me to do. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, eh? when this son of yours, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because of this brother of yours was dead. He was dead in his transgressions. He was dead in sin. He was dead in sin and he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. We have to be careful that we don't pray prayers to say, thank you, Lord, I'm a Christian. We can pray that prayer. Thank you, thank you, I'm saved, Lord. Thank you, you saved me. We've got to be on lookout. We've got to be on lookout for the other brother. We have to be on the lookout for the other brother. We have to. We've got to be careful that class and race and sex, and, and from sex I mean different sexes. We've got to be careful that that doesn't cloud what we call to. In Zephaniah 3, my last verse, I'm going to close with this. It says that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take delight in you and he will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. We worship a God who saves. We worship a God who saves. I want to pray for us in closing. We have to be careful that our religious upbringing, our preferences is not going to impediment who we speak to, who we love, who we talk to, who we bring into this house, where we go, where we go. Otherwise, we become like the Galatian church. Can you stand with me? We're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we want to banish all religion in our hearts. I want to pray that you will do a deep work in our hearts, Lord God, in my heart. A deep work. It says that when you become a son, it says that the spirit of sonship is in our hearts. The spirit of the son is in our hearts. And that's, that spirit cries, Abba, Father. And I pray that you'd make us aware of those around us. I pray that you would take us to places where we are deeply uncomfortable, where we can spread the gospel. With people who don't look like us, who saved for one day, Lord God, I pray that we're going to bring them in and celebrate with them. I pray there'd be a, a feast. I want to see a feast in this house, Lord God, a feast of different nationalities and cultures and people and males and females and Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free. Would you bring them in here? Would you unify us together? We pray for that, Lord God. We pray against any prejudice in our hearts. I pray that you'd wipe prejudice off my heart completely. And I have so much of it. I repent before you. You are mighty to save. You rejoice over us with singing. You quiet us with your love. There is space in your house and in your kingdom for many. 
Will you use us, Lord God? Will you use us to touch the world, to draw them in here? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad.